Space, the final frontier. Well, okay, not, not really. All right, uh, take two, take two. Here in the Mitten State, welcome to Code 47, bringing you all things Star Trek, spanning the quadrants, the best thing since the neutral zone. Back with your regularly scheduled program, this is Code 47 Podcast on the Secret Friends Unite Podcasting Network. This is episode 91. Uh, episode 90, though it wasn't labeled as such, was our interview uh, in the interstitial, the in-between week with Mr. John Billingsley, which was quite fantastic. We went ahead and released that uh, in anticipation of Trek Talks 2, which happens uh, on the 14th uh, to support... Uh, the Hollywood Food Coalition, very worthy cause that we were looking to um, take that interview and use that as part of our upcoming Patreon, which you'll be hearing about very shortly here. It was very important for us to support Mr. Billingsley and that very noble effort. So hopefully you've listened. Hopefully you're making a plan uh, to make that contribution. So, um, yes, <clears throat> I'll skip all the regular commercialized stuff and just say, hello, Charlie Carden here. Uh, Truck Lord of West Michigan, captain of the USS Grand Petoskey in Region 13 of the International Star Trek Fan Club. Here, as always, with my stalwart partner, Kay Quinn. Hello. Hello, everyone. Glad to be here, as always. Yes, indeed. We're missing Peter this week. He's on yet another away mission to a faraway sector that some call Kentucky. So he will be missed, but he will be back with us. Uh, in our next segment when we're going to be actually talking about uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture, the director's edition, uh, and our our interstitial week, uh, week in between when we don't have new episodes to talk about. We're going to talk about that and then uh, wrapping up talking about TNG. We're on the third portion of TNG this week. But uh, without further delay, uh, let's talk about the end of season one of Star Trek Prodigy. Kay, if you would be so kind... Walk us through it. Yeah. Um, this is, we left off with them sitting in the middle of incoming Starfleet vessels and all of them getting taken over by the angry virus as soon as they show up. And now this is them trying to figure out how to stop that from happening as they're getting this auto SOS signal that's getting all of the Starfleet coming in. And it's their trials and tribulations as they're trying to figure this out. And it ends on a you know, I think a very good note. Um, I was a little upset because I was like, dang it. They got, they got me to get a little misty eyed there for a little bit. I was a little, yeah. little teary. Yeah. And um, I, I did not appreciate that coming out of prodigy because I wanted to be angry at prodigy still. And I was like, freaking a, you got me crying. <laughs> not okay. The, I mean, the end of this show really did pull that off, you know, because I am, um, and we'll talk in a minute about kind of season highs and lows, but you know, I rewatched the entire series within the last couple of weeks. Uh, in addition, obviously watching this episode more than once. And th those first 10 episodes in some ways they're, you know, they tell a story, but it's not, it did. It certainly didn't engage me the way this back half of the season did, and certainly not the last like five episodes. Like, wow! I mean, it was just really nuts. And the, yeah, so this this one was a capper. There's no doubt they they obviously need to find a way to resolve getting you know the proto star off the the playing field. So in some ways, it was kind of like the end of Discovery season two, where like, well, you know, the only way we're going to solve this problem is, is that if you know Discovery or protostar in this case is, is no longer part of the equation. So we got to get rid of it. But unfortunately there was no, Oh, we got to jump to the future. Cause this and that we, they had to blow the ship up. <laughs> and um, in doing that, was that your cat meowing or mine? Cause I just had that one just, jump. I up. do not have any cats today. I just have a oh, dog. That was either a cat meowing or a door opening. And I think it was a cat meowing. Cause <laughs> um, but at any rate, um, <clears throat> Yeah, so Hologram Janeway says, no, I'm going to have to blow a ship up, so I'm going to have to fly it into oblivion, but here I'm going to download myself onto this memory chip, and she goes to do it, and uh, she does not have sufficient uh, storage space to back herself up to the cloud, should have paid extra money for the Google Drive to get more, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, more bandwidth. I mean, so. it's only like $2.99, I think, for um, the Apple Cloud. 
Right. It's an extra like 500 gigs. Come on. I know. I do that every month just for like photos and stuff. So, you know what I mean? I mean, that's, that's smart. So, uh, but yeah, so, and I love that. uh, It's so funny. And and for me, it's kind of a nod to Voyager that this ship has a shuttlecraft jet. Well, they have an overall, a fabrication shop and it builds a shuttlecraft, which if you watch the shuttle counter in the entirety of Star Trek Voyager, they go through like 50 shuttlecraft. So they clearly had the same kind of thing, you know, and that's, what's nice about about replicators right you know it's not like on Battlestar Galactica where they they either had something when the show started or they never had it again because there was nowhere there's nowhere to pick anything up they didn't have replicators but with this as long as they have juice and with Voyager as long as they had power they can replicate stuff so that's how they mm-hmm. build a shuttlecraft and all of our crew crams in the shuttlecraft and, and Janeway reveals that no all I could do is record myself onto this chip saying goodbye and I love you and you've all grown so much and that's when Kay starts crying I get the feeling. exactly yep is that they're all sitting on the floor because um, they forgot to create seats or seatbelts. I did love the joke, again, about (laughs) seatbelts. That that was, like, important. (laughs) They make the, basically, the the Yugo or the, uh, the, the, basically, the Ford Escort of Shuttlecraft. (laughs) Right, yeah. So they're all sitting on the floor watching this little hologram of Janeway as she's saying that she's grown too big from all of their adventures and from all of her knowledge um, to be able to go with them anymore. But that's okay because, you know, she's saying that they don't need her anymore and that they can, she knows that they can navigate and that they can create and, you know, be strong together because they are a family and they are a team. Right. And that, you know, she is super proud of them. And it's that just classic mama Janeway stuff that gets me every time. And I was like, dang it, dang, dang it. (laughs) <laughs> I watched, um, and I never do because I'm I'm not, you know, I've met Will Wheaton, and um, while I liked meeting him in person, he seemed like a normal human being. His ready room segments, he's 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 always too on, and it just kind of drives mm-hmm. me nuts. Um, but he did, he had, to wrap this up, he had Kate Mulgrew on, and I watched a YouTube clip of it while, in between watching these videos, and she said, um, that's what Janeway does. Um, that, that is who she is. She's a giver. She's, she makes sacrifices. Um, and even in hologram form, I mean, they, they, they got the program too right. Um, and yeah, and that, and that's what she did, you know, for the greater good, just like with the crew of discovery, they did what they needed to do to protect the future and to protect everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this was a much more literal interpretation. It seems they, Boy, they, they dug really deep for for this cartoon. You know what I mean? And <laughs> you know, and I know with that when you and I started this journey, you got to remember, Prodigy started over a year ago because the yeah, first episode they was the, did yeah, a season yeah, like one and one point yeah. five, and yeah, the, released it almost like the second half of the first season, almost like it was a season two. Right. Yeah. yeah I, I checked it because I was looking back. Yeah. The first episode was on at the end of October in 2021. So over a year mm-hmm. ago. I'm so like, you know, 15 months. Um, and the, the show evolved really rapidly. And I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, what it's what it's really accomplished as far as, you know, young viewers. But God, for us older viewers, you know, it just it got us right to the brink of, you know, <laughs> so um, we had some cool stuff, though. I mean, that was the first half of the episode. And, you know, keep in mind, these episodes are only 22 minutes long. So they they got to get a lot in, but they got a lot in. Mm-hmm. Um and it, and it was pretty cool because, they, you know, they end, you know, commercial break, they end up back at commercial. Okay, what would be a commercial break? What, what was a commercial <laughs> break if you're watching it on, yeah. you know, Nickelodeon or whatever? They end up back at Starfleet uh, and Admiral Janeway, the real Janeway, is, um, makes their case, uh, gets them cleared of all charges. And then they get um, they get basically adopted by her as warrant officers in training, which is fun because that's a little canonical thing that's never existed in Star Trek before, which is super cool. A warrant officer is a, a specialized non commissioned rank in the in the army and some other some other armed armed forces, both in the United States and around the world. So that that was super cool. I really dug that. Their uniforms didn't really change, so you know, I I myself am kind of sporting the. Um, the Chakotay's prodigy uniform and what you saw, you know, the red stripes, kind of what a what a captain would wear and what you saw hologram Janeway wearing. And there, I'm just in a normal t-shirt because I don't have a whole closet full. Of that's okay. Well, like I said, I, I have <laughs> a, a whole Star Trek costume. Yes, so. completely fair. And this is a, this is our first recording of the new year, I think, and or, or last last time was. And I said I'm going to wear. A uniform every episode until I've I've worn them all. It's going to be my way to, to get all my uniforms out there. So th- that's that is a just Star Trek New Year's resolution. It is that. If I've it, ever well, heard I have, one. 
I had to do something, and that is what I chose. So anyway, back to you know, their warrant officers now, but but Gwen instead is going to branch out. She's going to find her her home world, and she and uh, Dahl share a smooch. Which last time Ew. you know they shared a smooch, she was like, Ew. she friend zoned his ass, but I guess he got his way out. Whatever. I mean, that's I, the thing. That was probably my least favorite part of the smooch. This episode, just kind of weird. I was like, yeah. could you just? not like yeah. it doesn't have to be a romance between those two they could just right. admire each other as right. like friends and professionals right exactly but you know maybe for lucky it won't come up again but it probably will <laughs> but what the super when, when janeway hologram janeway launched protostar it essentially created this time tunnel very star trek kind of stuff that it leads to 50 something years in the future where chakotay and, and the Birdman uh and whoever else the other prisoners are are potentially um alive on the home world of um, the villainous race, r- the race. I can't remember the bad guy race, the bad guy race of the season. Yeah. You know, Gwyn's, the Gwyn's, um, home Gwyn's people. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Or rather it's Gwyn's father's home world because she isn't really, see, now I'm going to get mixed up. Clone, in the time you want So I think, I think clone. she would. Yeah. I mean, so, so there she you go. technically is that race. Gotcha. Um, Even though and I mean, clone. I think her um, kind of her tie off for the end of the season was probably the most interesting because Janeway comes in and says, you know, I've gotten it so that five of you can be warrant officers and there are six of them. And so it's assumed that it's going to be Dahl, who's not right. because he is an augment. He's not supposed to be allowed in Starfleet. So it's assumed that he would be the one that's on the outs. And so there's this moment of him going like, no, I'm really proud of everyone. That's okay. We knew this would happen. And I'm just really excited right. you all get to go. Right. And Janeway's like, no, actually you got in. And that's right. when Gwen reveals like, no, I need to make sure that my people are okay because maybe if we can do first contact right this time, we can avoid, I mean, not that they did first contact wrong. I think her people are just kind of assholes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Was, some of them are just jerks. Well, this was, <laughs> reminds me of I a mean, Simpsons bit. Why is that elephant attacking the other elephant? Well, you know, there, you know, sometimes, sometimes animals are just jerks. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I mean, the fact that they just are still blaming Starfleet for the fact that they got in a civil war because Starfleet said, hello, right. I just, maybe it'll give some more complexity to that. <laughs> Could be, so, you know, yeah. But, but um, I am interested to see where that, that t- timeline goes. Yeah, right. I guess I could put that oh, on my right. wish list for uh, for our later conversation. Oh, wait. So don't jump too far ahead in the program. Um, but anyway, help it. You know I'm sporadic. <laughs> I know. But anyway, yes, the episode wraps up with Janeway. You know, they're, they're, they're walking on the grounds of the Academy. They see in the distance another protostar is being built. And, he, and they're all like, is this our new ship? She's like, no, no. I've got bigger plans for you guys. And then the episode ends. So perfect um, wrap up to that because, you know, you leave one more. Um, we don't, of course, know when we will see season two. You know, we're all playing kind of Star Trek bingo. Like, we think we'll have Strange New Worlds in May. We know we, we know we have Picard next month in February. We think maybe we'll then have, you know, come August, we'll have Lower Decks again. So maybe this will be in the fall, potentially, maybe. following, because it'll be, you know, 12 months later, whatever, something. I don't know. So, uh, okay. Well, let's let's wrap up the season. Um, and we've already kind of done some of that already because, you know, you and I have been doing this since the jump. And we said the first 10 episodes, yeah, they, you know, there's a little bit of back and forth, a little bit of this and that. I didn't really have a, a favorite that I could think of from the first 10. Um, so for some reason, in my mind, I just kind of focused on the second 10. So my high probably with, with I have two is kind of tied for first place. Tied for a three-way tie for first place, I guess, because parts one and two of this finale was the best of the season for me. But the all the world's a stage with the Enterpriseans, absolutely spectacular. You had the planet where it was it was like an episode of of TOS where they had the gangster planet because there was a Starfleet vessel a hundred years prior that had left behind a book called Chicago mobs of the twenties. And this entire culture uh, just abandoned whatever they were doing and just dedicated themselves <laughs> to like Chicago mobs. Of the twenties episode is called a piece of the action. It's, it's a fun one. You would, you would probably enjoy it uh, despite your, you know, not great love for TOS, which I get, <laughs> I totally do. Um, so that's my high. What, what was your high for the, I guess the series or, or the, the half season, I guess. I, I mean, I would say you're, you're probably back. the, the second part of kind of like the mid season finale of um, 
what was it called? Um, the a morning star, I think it was oh, called yeah, yeah, a moral yeah. star. A moral um, star, got it right. Yeah, I thought that that was really good, um, just because it did show the complexity of like Gwen and Zero, and you really started honing in on those two characters. Which again, those are my two favorite characters, so I greatly appreciated that. Um, and then I think that probably this last episode would be my favorite overall. Just mm-hmm. because it did, you did finally see some rewarding growth from Doll, from Janeway, from you know everyone. Right. Um, you got to see Rock get really excited about xenobiology, which was adorable because they're like right. pulling all of these like manuals because right. once again they cannot decide what they want to do. And I just I feel that in my little ADHD soul. <laughs> That's great. And there was a fun cameo with that with real life um, Star Trek franchise series advisor Aaron McDonald, uh, who's someone who has appeared uh, in she was she was a guest on the uh, virtual international conference for our fan club Starfleet last summer. Uh, she's going to be on the Star Trek cruise, uh, so I'll, I'll get to say hello. Uh, she's very active on social media, but she's super cool. She's Colorado based. She was, and it was revealed to me by the guy who runs member services for the International Star Trek Fan Club we're a part of, she was once upon a time part of this dude's chapter, which is the biggest chapter in the world, which is in Colorado, until Paramount decided that people involved with Star Trek can't be part of our fan club, which is why Doug Jones and Tara Rosling are not part of the Grand Petoskey, because we tried and it didn't work. (laughs) Kind kind of a bummer. So, all right. well, speaking of kind of a bummer, let's focus on season lows for me the most pointless and it's funny because it kind of bounces off of not to put down our great interview with john billingsley and how awesome that was Mm -hmm. but uh, and getting to meet you know his his wife bonnie who was a guest star in the enterprise episode where they had the borg um that at the end of it there was it was kind of a no stakes gambit because nothing happened the 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 borg episode that we had which name is is missing me where zero became a borg for like five seconds and then he wasn't a borg and him becoming a borg made no sense because he's non-corporeal and yeah, that was know, um let sleeping borgs lie thank you very much yes exactly yeah. yeah because our crew you know they're trying to figure out what the glowing red mass is in the ship. And at this point we eventually find out that obviously it's a, it's this undefeatable Uber weapon, which in the end of it, it is undefeatable except for to, to blow up the ship. But they, you know, at this point, this was, you know, for, you know, four or five episodes back, it's probably mid half season. Um, they come upon a board cube, which is of course deactivated and all the drones are sleeping. Um, you know, and they of course board the ship, which is a terrible idea. Hologram Janeway is like, we really shouldn't do this. They fly into the cube, which is, <laughs> which is kind of neat. Um, um, you know, high points of that episode is you get you do get to see all these weird different kind of Borg, and I think that's awesome. But the kind of pointlessness of and, and kind of incongruity of, well, Zero is a he's a Medusa and he's not corporeal. How can they assimilate something that is not biological? Because that's really contrary to what the Borg do. Um, and at the end of it, at the end of it, he worked his way out of it and he was fine. I just, I thought, you know, this is, this was a chance to try to be like, and here's the Borg and here's a, this and that. I, this just felt like a tack on to me. And I just, I didn't, I didn't dig it. Yeah. That was me. I can, I can see that. Yeah. I think probably my favorite was, I think it was uh, masquerade or my least favorite was masquerade, which was the one where Dahl finds out that he's an augment and then decides to like unlock all of these powers. Oh, right. Because it okay. felt very much like like third episode doll and with as much growth as they had finally been giving him for him to like, you know, move past this like inferiority complex that he had. And like, he has to be the best and he has to be super uber powerful. Right. And it just turned him back into that. Uh, It felt really reductive to me and it seemed like it would have been better for him to just have some more conversations with Gwen and with zero and with rock talking about his problems with like finding out that he is an augment and what that means instead of him being like, okay, nope, I'm going to go back and do all of that stupid stuff I was doing when I thought I was all of that because I'm so insecure with myself. Even right. though now I've had like eight episodes of growth and of learning that it's not about me, it's about my team to just go back to it being about me. And then right. like it just it felt like it was one of these like rehash recircles that they didn't know yeah. how to convey his struggle with finding out that information. Um, so that would probably be my least favorite. No, I, I, I totally agree. And yeah, that was, that was right after Murph had come out of Murph's cocoon. And then we found out he was like a ninja warrior because they're, they're doing because that. He's indestructible that, Murph. <laughs> doing that big race in the side by side elevators and Murph's like, blah, blah, 
oh, and he's jumping across and beating up because they're getting chased by Romulans, if I'm not mistaken. And he, yeah, yeah Murph like, is basically flubber. From my understanding at this point, <laughs> where he's just indestructible and can super stretch and is super strong and can do anything. <laughs> I think you just named Murph is Flubber, the name of the episode. Thank you very much. Uh, we're going to ride with that for the time being. So, okay, well, cool. Let's uh, wrap up talking about Prodigy with looking ahead to season two. You got a wish list. You can have up to two items. You go first. What do you want to say? Um, I would I would say this is more of a technicality um, than an actual like story, but I really hope that we see better animation from them. And anyone who's been listening to this, you yeah. know, continually knows that that's been my one of my biggest beasts with this is that it feels like I'm watching one of those really cheap kind of phoned in like toddler CG shows sometimes. <laughs> where like it reminds me of watching like Paw Patrol with my nephews because it's just like they're not it's not a lived in environment. And oh, when you yeah. have such high caliber shows coming out from other. Right. Um, it's not like competitive. Companies. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, like Disney, you know, um, is making great stuff with Rebels and a lot of their other shows. I mean, and granted, right. I know Disney's a, a monolith of entertainment, so that might right. not be fair to them, but it still should be a little bit better than it is. Right. Um, especially right. if Janeway, like Admiral Janeway is going to be in it more. I'd really like to see them figure out this uncanny valley thing that they have going on with her <laughs> right yeah exactly yeah okay. and, and, yeah and there was a quite a bit of, like i said the worst part was, was when she was watching the holodeck recreation of when the protostar launched and they hug each other and like mur, mur, it's just very like right. just a her and Chakotay look you can yeah. tell that they made this animation for their non-humanoid or their non you know terran i guess right races. Yeah, because it really doesn't doesn't feel like an issue when you're looking at Dahl or Gwyn or Rock. They're just like, oh, okay, they're aliens. Yeah, and or well, even yeah. like they're um, like the Orion that she had um, was no, it was an Orion. It was an what's the one with the with the antennae? Uh, Andorian. She, the, her first Andorian, officer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, her first officer was an Andorian. He didn't look bad, but like um, whenever they do uh, like a humanoid. Um, Oh, Trill, or if they're Yo, doing like, like, you oh, know, like the Diviner, Janeway or Chakotay, yeah. and like they they just look off, and so I hope <laughs> that that gets better. <laughs> it's, pro it's probably tougher still because they're obviously based on uh, on a, on a real an actor, you know. Right, so yeah. you look at him and he doesn't look like Robert Beltran, and he doesn't look like Kate Mulgrew, and it was the same thing with Hologram Janeway, even though. She was modeled after what Jane would look like in the first season of Voyager with the bun hair and everything. It was just very, it was very yeah, 19. I didn't think she looked yeah. bad at all. I thought yeah. they did a great job with that one. But yeah. for some yeah. reason, like current Admiral Janeway, there's just something right. about the way that she looks. And there's something about the way that Chakotay looks where I'm just like, this looks weird. Like I get if you're right. doing a stylized version, but even their movements, it yeah. just feels off. I agree. It was, and again, I'm, I'm going to have to hone in on, I, I would agree with you that that's kind of one of the biggest issues because yeah, you're also looking to recreate like hologram Janeway is the way Kate Mulgrew looked in like 1995. Vice mm -hmm. Admiral Janeway would be the way she looked in about maybe 2003 or 2004, if you did the math. Um, so yeah, and it, it just didn't jibe. I, yeah. So I agree with you. I think that would be one of the strongest. Did you have another one? Um, I think that uh, seeing, um, Gwen's storyline. I'm a little worried that if she is leaving the team, that we won't see as much from her. Right. Um, and so that would be like my only other worry, but I, I'm hopeful that we will still be able to continue seeing that gotcha. and seeing how that story develops. Gotcha. I, one thing I really hope for is I'd like it to continue to expand upon making this a spiritual cousin to Voyager by having more familiar faces. And that's something that I think that has been talked about, you know? So yeah, I would like to see, you know, I mean, we still have a lot of the actors who are active in the community, like Robbie McNeil and Garrett Wong do a podcast every week called Delta Flyers. That I listen to, so they're very active in the community. They'll be on the, they'll be on the cruise, you know, um, um, Ethan Phillips, you don't hear so much from him in regards to being involved or Tim Russ, you know, or, um, Roxanne Dawson, who's Blonde Torres. So maybe not necessarily all the actors are still super involved. Of course, Jerry Ryan is involved because she's on she's on uh, Picard. Uh, but yeah, I would like to see that. And then there's nothing keeping them from bringing in, you know, you know, uh, characters from TNG, characters from DS9. Right. I mean, we ha and we have to get soon somewhere in there. 
because right, yes, always, that, that is always somewhere in in a <laughs> that is apparently become a law to the point that you know we got to have uh, the inexplicable return of lore in Picard season three, which we know we're getting. It's right. been confirmed yeah. that that's his role, but he also might be a Sung <laughs> because we got a Sung what worked into this because they said, well, it was a Sung that did the work on Dahl or whatever it is. So right, yeah. yeah. So we have to we have to have him somewhere. We have to have Brent Spiner come back somehow. It's a Sung world, and we're just living in it. Oh, you know what? That could be a name of the episode. Do you like I that, or do you like the other? Okay, all right. We'll get let's hit. It's uh, whoops. All right, it's a Sung. Just living in it. I don't edit, so you got to deal with my typing. Deal with it. All right. Well, moving on. Uh, yeah. So we uh, we don't know uh, necessarily when we're going to see season two but my fingers are crossed for like this fall it seems like that would make sense because it would kind of fall in line with because this show came back do we know when the show came back when we started to get it was i feel like it was late Um, it was was late no no it was it was this fall that this came back so roll the clock forward 12 months and october maybe october november we get season two let me see yeah October, October 21 or 28th, 2021 was the first. Era. That was the first, but, but when did, when did we get the back half? Is the um, do, 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 do. I've got it pulled up so I can look. Uh, the 27th, October. Uh, so, so this will, this real good chance this could be back in October. So yeah. we, uh, we will see about that. So, okay, cool. Um, moving on. All right. So we're back into Star Trek. The Next Generation, we're in Season 3. This is Part 3 of 4. We're tackling seven episodes this week, uh, and we're getting into a real sweet spot. I mean, we we get a couple of the honest-to-God classics of the series. This was, uh, to, I have a lot yeah. of notes going through these episodes. I thought this was Lots a really solid set of episodes. Of notes. Well, good. Since you're so note-heavy, why don't you get rolling? <laughs> uh, talk about Episode 14 of the season. All right. So we have A Matter of Perspective, uh, directed by Cliff Bull. Edit, or um, written by Ed Zuckerman. Did I get that right? Uh, Zuckerman, I believe that, so. <laughs> I always worry that I'm flipping around who directed it and who wrote it. <laughs> I, th- I think it goes director-writer. So you're, yeah, okay, Cliff, yeah. Bo- Cliff Bull is a, a stalwart of the series. So yeah, he's definitely a director. So you got it. All right, thank you. All right, and it aired February 12th of 1990. And Commander Riker is accused of murder on the hollow, and the holodeck is used to reconstruct the events from different perspectives. And this episode overall i thought was an absolutely incredible idea i really enjoyed the idea of them talking about kind of you know from personal perspectives how narratives can can change and how you can have this unreliable witness and depending on who's telling the story depends on how things are going to be um and so i thought it was just a really cool way to kind of talk about you know, the judicial system and how we have to kind of cope with a fallible system. Right. Um, But there was this really weird chunk where they both had Riker as the victim of an attempted sexual assault and Mm -hmm. the perpetrator Perpetrator. of sexual assault. And it was one of those where, and you you never know. And I was like, okay, so like, how, how does this work? Because you have, was it Mauna? Mena? Her name Mena? was, um, oh crap, I can't believe I don't remember. Uh, that's why we have the, oh, I guess I, that's why we link them. Here, you keep talking. <laughs> you keep talking. Yeah, so you have it where she, initially, from Riker's perspective, she basically like throws herself at him and he is telling her no and she is pursuing. Which it's, in, it's, that is, Man, it's Manua, M-A-N-U-A, yes. So Manua, yeah. Um, and I thought, I'm like, oh, cool, this is going to be a really great, you know, episode because as we have talked in previous episodes, Star Trek doesn't always handle the idea of, you know, victims' rights and perspectives in, you know, when sexual, uh, you know, proclivities take place and there's non consensual mm-hmm. activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, cool, we're going to get this from a male's perspective because males are absolutely the victims of sexual assault and it's not talked about enough. So I was mm-hmm. like, cool, true, we're going to do this. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> from her perspective, it is Riker being incredibly aggressive with her screaming no. So right. Like, okay, either like this isn't a matter of perspective. Either it happened that way or it didn't happen that way. 
I mean, and certainly based on what we know about his character, I find it very hard to believe that th- that, that right. was accurate. Well, and especially yeah. because he is this kind of like Fabio Suave, like he is like the womanizer or, you know, kind of the player of TNG. So having right. him put in this position of being, you know, trying to respect her boundaries, you know, and have her respect his boundaries being like, no, 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 I don't want to do this. This is not okay. And having him put in that position, I thought was really great not great and you know obviously right. it's not good <laughs> it's great oh it's great seeing him look yeah. like a rapist i love it yes <laughs> i guess the complexity and nuance that it offered his character was really really good right and then having it be that he's being disbe- disbelieved as a victim and all of this other stuff and having troy be like i don't have i can't sense any deceit from her from what she's saying she believes that's the truth that's what's I'm like, sure so, so difficult in any cr- criminal investigation where there's there's no physical evidence. So right. it's not you know it's not like it's very you know he he raped her. There's physical evidence, or she raped him. There's physical evidence of that somehow. You know right. what I mean? And or, I just I couldn't buy that she was able to have such a different perspective of what happened. It felt very much of that like kind of mythology or like that trope of oh well you know. We did it, and then the next morning she regretted it. So she's accusing me of sexual assault. Right, which is like, yeah, that's a big trope. Feel, I mean, you see that on on almost yeah. any drama anywhere. And so, in the last like, it just years. It, that kind of twisted like the story for me a little overall. And I really wish that if they were going to like either they just wouldn't have had that part in the story and could have come up with a different reason why, like, because they already had the reason of why the uh, scientist dude who was coming up with this. Right, sciency, weird Star Trek yeah. terminology for well, yeah, radiation. Kensing <laughs> radiation. He was building Krieger waves. Krieger that waves. That's could it. Be, that could be weaponized, but he was doing it on the sly because yeah, because he was not a good guy. Um, right. And, so and the wife was like, "I don't know what you're talking about." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he already had motive for wanting to get rid of Riker and for wanting to murder right. Riker, which is what you find out is that it was actually a murder gone awry. Right. So this whole thing with his wife did not need to be in there besides adding some weird like back and forth. Right. And some so real it just like, was one of those oh moments God. where I'm like, you don't you didn't need to have this in there. And it actually tainted the episode a little bit for me because I loved all of the rest of it. Right. Gotcha. And this was um and a great way to really explain how the holodeck can be something besides just like, and now we're trapped in the holodeck and the safety's failed. And how it could be like, no, this is a great way. Like, all right, I told the computer everything I thought happened. And I told the computer everything I thought happened. And then it gives us this weird three act play that you're like, none of this makes any sense. And you're right. right. I think that's absolutely fascinating. And should this someday become a real technology, which it probably absolutely will, we're moving that way with, you know, VR environments and the Oculus and all this different stuff. Uh, in this day and age, um, that this could be, or, you know, it, it kind of has echoes of, you know, real, you know, it takes something really sci-fi-ish and turns it into, like you said, something about victims' rights and, and the he said, she said of it and and the burden of proof. And, you know, this is a society that where the, he comes right out and says, you know, people are guilty until proven innocent. So it's the opposite of our jurisprudence. So just so much fascinating stuff going on in this episode. So I would, without a doubt, say, you know, where season three is really, really hitting its stride. This is, I think mm-hmm. this, is a big, this yeah, episode absolutely. is a big part of it without a doubt. So, okay, cool. Moving on to one of the all time watched it a billion times because it's a classic and this uh, is a great episode because it's actually, it was an outside pitch, which is always fascinating because I don't know that that happens so much anymore, but back in the day, uh, Star Trek was one of, maybe they're one of a few shows, maybe every show did this, but an outsider could write a script and mail it to Paramount and it goes in a pile and if the powers be read it and they think it's great, they'll make it. And that's what happened here. It's fascinating. And I've actually met this dude. We've, we've interfaced on social media. Eric Stillwell. But the, anyway, blah, 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 long preamble, sorry. Yesterday's Enterprise is episode 15 of the season, directed by David Carson. Again, big name in the series. Uh, story by uh, Trent Christopher Ganino and, as I said, Eric Stillwell. I'm not sure who Trent Christopher is, but it was the Eric Stillwell name uh, that I recognized potentially. And I could do a little digging. I believe they uh, maybe Trent did some rewriting. But Telepray by Iris Stephen Bear, who was one of the big, big guys behind Deep Space Nine. This was right when he was getting started with the franchise. Richard Manning, uh, Hans Beimler, and my guy, who I'm going to 
meet at uh, Star Trek Las Vegas, Ron D. Moore. Love that dude. Uh, aired right around my birthday, February of 1990, when I was turning 13. Uh, the USS Enterprise C arrives from the past, causing a shift in reality and the return of the deceased Tasha Yar, Denise Crosby, who I met and interviewed on the radio back when I worked at WLAV here in Grand Rapids back in 2016. Lovely lady. So, oh my God. And guest starring... Uh, actor Christopher McDonald, better known as Shooter McGavin, from Happy Gilmore. Pew, 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 pew! Um, <laughs> I loved everything about this, quite frankly. It was a great story. A Guinan, Whoopi Goldberg's character, who is a recurring guest star. We've seen her, obviously. I feel like we haven't talked about her a ton, but she's been on since the beginning of season two. She runs 10 Forward. She has this cross-dimensional consciousness that when the change happens and, you know, uh, the Enterprise C flies through this rift that the Enterprise D has come up upon, history changes around her, but she's like, oh, this is, this is weird and everything's different and we're in this war that we're not supposed to be on, be, be in because what happened is when the Enterprise C disappeared, uh, the, you know, the Romulans destroyed a Klingon outpost and then the Klingons clearly wiped out the Romulans and then they turned their wrath upon the Federation and they destroyed, they all but destroyed the Federation is where we're at 22 years later in this alternate reality. And Tasha are still alive because she didn't die back in, you know, season one of, of TNG the way this character did. Um, and so we, we meet various characters uh, from the Enterprise-C, including Captain Rachel Garrett, one of the few female Starfleet captains we've had up to this point. Not the first, but one of the few. Um, and then Shooter McGavin is her pilot, uh, helmsman guy. Um, Return of the Awesome Monster Maroon Uniforms, of which I'll be getting one soon enough. Very excited about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of lot, lot of great stuff going on. And at the end, we see, so Ta- you know, stuff. yeah, we see Tashiar get some resolution around um, the fact that, uh, you know, Guinan is aware of the way that she died, which was the sacrifice of the, you know, Mark McChesney, the slick uh, armist guy and back in that episode of season one, was kind of pointless. She was killed as a display of his power. And Tasha says, I want, she has this great scene with Patrick Stewart, she says, I've always known the risks that come with wearing a Starfleet uniform. If I'm to die in one, I would like my death to count for something. And I was like, I mean, oh my God, it was amazing. It was was like a beautiful trolley problem wrapped up in a love letter to Tasha Yar, which I just absolutely adored. And just the, the one moment that Dave Carlson did where they have that switch and it's just this beautiful warm lighting on Picard and then immediately everything turns to cool lighting. And really mm-hmm. there's such subtlety in the uniforms. Nothing else really changes. Just that lighting switch. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa. Ten. Yeah, 10 forward amazing. is like, whoa. Like turn the yeah. lights on at the bar at 2 a.m. You're like, ah, you know. Yeah, it yeah. was an amazing transition that they were able to do with just a simple lighting change where you, as the viewer, immediately know that something is different. Right. Absolutely. And you don't know what exactly, but you know that something is different and that you are looking at an alternate Picard. Right. Yeah, you're right. The, the uniform tweaks were very subtle. Um, you'll see what I'm wearing now. I have a regular collar. Uh, it went from a split collar to a regular collar. The, mm-hmm. um, the They picked up little designs on the cuffs. Uh, they, they wear little belts that have phasers on them. Yeah, I would it, say, you know, let's keep the belts, though. Those were some swanky belts. I, I would like to pick up one of those. I've never seen one on anyone. I mean, and I'm not a maker, so I don't make stuff, but that'd be pretty cool. The enlisted people wore big, fancier outfits. Like, it, was, it, was, it was an episode of belts because the enlisted people <laughs> who were, were just in the jumpsuits, the season one jumpsuits they were still using at this point, had big, like it was a cross thing, and it went across and different stuff. And so it was, you know, it was everybody, was, and everybody was armed all the time. So, I mean, because they were, it was, they were, you know, they were, lived in a war culture. So mm-hmm. um, this was awesome. Clearly pointed to as being one of the absolute best episodes of the series. I mean, this is one I could turn on and watch over and over again. It's just kind of yeah. one of those. Um, so yeah, top marks, kind of 10 out of 10. Um, yeah. And I really this. loved the note that it ended on with Guinan coming to Jordy at the end and asking him to tell her about Tasha. Because right. part of the conversation that her and Tasha have is Tasha's like, you know, you keep looking at me weirdly what do you know that I don't know? And Guinan just says, I don't know you. Yeah. I know that yeah. I don't know you. You're not familiar to me. And I can't exactly tell you why. All I can tell yeah. you is your death was meaningless. Right. And that's oh, when Tasha yeah. goes to Picard. And it really gives Guinan this beautiful moment of, okay, I want to know more about her. Like, let's. And then at that point, it was almost like she continued to live, even though you know she died, because right. Guinan wanted to make sure her story was continued. 
Right, which ironically enough, story does get continued, as you'll see mm-hmm. at the end of next season, um, of something that happens that I'm not going to spoil. But it does it does actually bring back You're into play. You're not going to spoil from like 1992. <laughs> 1991. But yes, no, I really don't want to. But yeah, no, there, there's a callback in that happening uh, to some conversations that place in this episode. So anyway, all right, for the sake of time, let's move on. Next one is yours. All right, so we have The os- Offspring. Um, that was directed by Jonathan Frakes, written by Renee um, Echevarria. Yes, to in this. If I'm saying that name wrong, this is 100 the first episode Frakes ever directed of anything. This is this was oh, the beginning well, of Frakes as a director. Yes, indeed. Um, it aired March 12th of 1990. Um, Lieutenant Commander Data creates a young. Um, I had I had to look this up. I had to look this up. Oh, click, click, no, do yourself a favor. And then you click, give it no, to no. me. Click, to click, click, click on the link, and I'll read this for you. This is from Wikipedia. A gynoid, or fembot, is a feminine humanoid robot. Gynoids, gynoids appear frequently in science fiction, film, and art. As a more realistic human robot design that becomes technologically possible, they are emerging into real-life robot design. And we're not going to talk anymore about that because I'm already creeped yeah, out. Yeah, let's not. Um, and, okay, I was just saying, I wasn't and, sure wait, if it was gynoid or gynoid, but gynoid, yes, that makes my, more my, sense. <laughs> my famous line, moving on. <laughs> All right. Um, Lal, played by um, Haley Todd, which he considered his daughter, but Starfleet Admiral arrives demanding she be removed from the Enterprise. And basically, what? this is Space CPS tells Data he's not a good dad. I know, and it's so lame. It's um, so lame. I was like, we literally had an entire episode in season two fighting of- for his personhood and about how he sentient and then they come back and they're like actually no you're still not completely sentient and we're not going to treat you like a person you know and they could have you know they're sitting and having this conversation this admiral is what's so funny the admiral's last name is Todd so Admiral Todd (laughs) Todd Todd is of course um, my best friend slash uh, sparring partner on Secret Friends who does not like Star Trek (laughs) no he doesn't like Star Wars he does like Star Trek Sometimes. I thought it was the other way around. No, no, no. He's okay. he is he rails against Star Wars. If you ever follow his posts or uh, <laughs> listen to debates that we get into on SFU Prime, I'm sure there will be one probably uh, for the recording we do later today. But at any rate, um, where the hell? Yes, Admiral Todd comes on and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I happen to also be a cyberneticist," which is like, "Whatever, okay, dude." But he's like, "Yeah, you know, I think we'll take her to the starbase and blah blah blah." She's a toaster, and it's like, "Yeah, everything from season two is exceptional, the Measure of a Man episode, which was about a year before this." They're just like, "Not nah, fuck it, we don't need to do." You know, right? that's. I mean, and honestly, you can't right throw out. you can't throw a phaser in Starfleet without hitting someone who's a cyberneticist. Like, come on, yeah, right, Admiral exactly. Todd, get over yourself. And I know. He's just like, the, <laughs> Yeah, and then he's like, "Well, I'm a, I'm a parent, and blah blah blah, this thing and that." Right. This guy, just, this guy, he is in the, one of the latest of the long line of, of bad admirals or bad admirals that we have in Star Trek. He's just, I'm a I'm a guy or a woman because there's some bad admiral women, at, you know, out mm-hmm. there, females out there as well. That he comes along, and says, "Well, you know, I got the rank and blah blah blah, and I'm gonna." Do some stuff because I'm in charge. And he's just a right. jerk. And, and, you know, at the end, Lao starts to malfunction because she's, you know, she's her her brain is growing too quickly and it fizzes out and she's going to die. And the bad admiral says, well, I'd like to help you. Blah, you know, I'm just like, yeah, like you can help. That. Like, And then Data's like, yeah, why don't you come help me save this android you were trying to take away from me? Because he doesn't have emotions and he's not like, yeah, fuck you. You know, I don't, I don't need anything right. from you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I mean, I think... And again, it shows the respect that Picard has for Data as a sentient being versus Admiral Todd. Because, you know, when Picard finds out that Data basically made a kid, he's, yeah, like, he's like, you should have consulted me. That's his first thing is because he's freaking yeah, out. Right. Like, Dude, you just made a robot. And he goes, you should have consulted me. And Data just looks at him in his truly Data way and goes, well, no one else talks to you about if they're allowed to procreate or not on the ship. And like Picard just steps back and is like, you know what? That's my bad. You, um, you, uh, you're yeah, right. it, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. What can I say? My bad. <laughs> and then at that point, it's just like, no, this is like as complex and as different as this is, you know, and I would say context is important, you know, and right. that could have maybe been addressed a little bit of yes, data. We don't talk about procreation, but this also is not the, like, you know, if, Riker and Troy want to have a kid. That's not going to be the first Betazoid Terran person in existence. This is the first 
add, you know, Android baby in existence. Right. <laughs> so there is a little bit of a difference there, but I also totally respected Picard just taking a step back and being like, that's legit. That, all right. That all right. True. <laughs> it is. It is a real Papa don't preach moment. Data says, I've made up my mind. I'm keeping my baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh, yes. I, I don't want to, you know what? That's another Android pun. I, I, you know what? I just, I could change the end of the episode for that, but I don't know. Okay. Oh, well, We'll still that. Yeah, we'll, okay. we'll keep working. But again, let's let's talk about uh, Brett Spiner's ability to have a character that shows no emotion and still be able to just eat the scenery while he's working with Lal. Because there are times where, like, two weeks into it, and she's having these, <laughs> like, she's having an existential crisis. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> he yes, just exactly. Her off, <laughs> which was great. Oh, if only like, parenting so was parents. really that easy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, oh I'm like, and even me, like, I don't have kids of my own, but I've done enough nannying where you get to that toddler point of them just asking twenty questions constantly. <laughs> yeah. and just a continual game, and you wish that you could just be like, "We're not doing questions anymore." Just what it was? What's that? No that more one, questions. <laughs> that one great meme of Yoda. They said, you know. Um, Yoda uh, m- mimics what every parents want is that Luke continues to pepper him with questions until to get out of it he just dies. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. my God! No, that's all, that's that, it's good. And again, a, a classic, but tainted by the fact that it's like, well, you know, Data went through everything in this trial where he got rights, and they're just like, well, you know, not so much. So right. well, and it also yes. shows, you know, as the episode is tainted, but in such a great and complex way by that, where it doesn't make the episode any less. It actually makes it more because it's continuing to show that data has to continually to fight to show that he is a sentient being and that he should have the same rights, even though he has it on paper. And that's kind of a continual thing that we see even reflected in our society today, that even though there's a lot of places or in a lot of people who have the same rights, quote unquote on paper, they still meet a lot of persecution and injustices because of who they are right absolutely man alive all right moving on episode 17 this is the the, the, the klingon this is the episode i think of, of when universe. i think of tng absolutely sins of the father directed by les landau story by drew deegan and teleplay by ron moore mr klingon and w reed moran whose name i'm not familiar with from march of 1990 Worf tries to prove his father's innocence after the klingon high council declares that his long dead father was a traitor and had betrayed a klingon outpost to the romulans wow the beginning of so much that resonated throughout the rest of of the classic era of star trek so we in this, this week yeah this episode should have just been named Klingons are catty bitches. Big time. Yeah, in <laughs> because this, in, yeah, in this we meet uh, we meet Duras, uh, who is just a real scumbag Klingon. You meet Kim Peck, uh, who is the you know leader of the High Council, the Big Cheese. Um, you know, we, we end up on the Klingon homeworld for the first time in Star Trek history, I think. Um, and you see that the Klingon race and the Klingon Defense Force Klingon Society for all of their bluster about a warrior's culture and this and that is a bunch of political bullshit. You know, mm-hmm. that that is 100% where this ends because, spoiler alert, Duras, who uncovered some files, you're not seeing my air quotes unless you're watching us on, you know, YouTube, um, uncovered some files that showed that while both Warp's father, Moog, and young Warf, because Warf was left in the rubble after the destruction uh, of this outpost that they were at. Um, and Duras's father were both at this, but Duras was the guy who beamed the codes to the Romulans and let them blow up the station, but still somehow found, found a way to po- pin it on Warf's dad. But well, because Duras's family is quote unquote very influential, and it would cause another civil war if it got out that his dad was a traitor. So they put him dead instead. Does it sound at all like something that might be happening in this country right now? Oh, we don't need to talk about that. We're not that kind of program. However, (laughs) it's terrifying that Star Trek, it's like, oh, the Simpsons did it or the Simpsons predicted it because, you know, they predict this thing and that thing. Uh, One one prediction was about the certain political figure that we're talking about becoming president. Um, It's the same thing. Well, his family's too powerful. So if we it's like banks that are too big to fail. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. if we if we did the right thing and we expose the fact that the Duras family uh, 
were the traitors and then we turn around and executed him because that's our laws, um, then we would have a civil war and we got to think about the greater good, which ultimately is they put that 100% of that on Worf's shoulders. And he's like, all right, here's the thing. I'll accept discommendation for the good of the empire, which means I am now a pariah in Klingon society. It's like the Amish, you know, he's shunned forever. Um, and then he has to walk away back to his life in Starfleet and has to give up, you know, any right that he would have to a light in, uh, you know, a life in the Klingon Empire, which, of course, spawns a whole other storyline that is not really going to go away. But, um, yeah, this was a little bit it's a little bit too close to home that I don't know specifically. And again, I, I'm not well versed in you know political science or things like that. So I couldn't say, oh, this was really based on this situation that happened you know, around that same time or, or before this happened, but boy, it really does land on something that we're dealing with, you know, in the here and now. So it's kind of, it's, it's way too close to home, but that's right. Really well, I mean, it is, it so it is just good. kind of a classic political move too, of, you know, Very finding true. kind of a, a lackey or an out or, you know, a fall right. guy. And, right. you know, they are first off, they're banking on Worf not showing up. Because right, they exactly. assume, well, he's in Starfleet, he won't care. And then right. it's like Worf, the Klingonist of the Klingon when it comes to honor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, he does show up, especially because now he finds out that he has a, a brother, Kern, I believe his right. name was. Yeah. Right. He um, didn't even touch on that. Yeah. Tony Todd, the awesome yeah. Tony Todd. Oh, man. And you just get a great, great scene chewing between those two. Absolutely right. fabulous because he is just classic little brother of just like poking him at every chance he gets where he's like, are you are you doing like just so polite, just so passive aggressive to Worf. Right. right. Everybody's because, like, yeah. what are you talking about, Worf? He's being so nice. And Worf's like, that's the problem. Exactly. Yeah. Because the, the <laughs> he's first. He's yelling at me like he's yelling at everyone else. Obviously, right. it's great insult to me <laughs> right exactly yeah the first couple the first two acts of this is a kern is a klingon officer he comes on the enterprise so that he can basically reveal right that he's worse brother and then about the challenge yeah. yeah yeah exactly it's like a play on what we did in season two where we saw kind of that exchange program of Riker going on to a klingon ship to act as a first officer and you know they're doing this kind of reverse program but then it's underwritten by this fact that kern's kind of snuck his way into yeah. this Sneaky. You know, or maneuvered his way into this so that he could confront Worf and be like, hey, they're trying to, you know, dishonor right. our father's name and destroy your right, house. Right. Do you want to do something about it? Right, exactly. So anyway, kick-ass episode definitely mm -hmm. um, lights the trail to uh, the Klingon Civil War arc that we see at the end of season four. Uh, you know, the, the Duras arc that, that kicks off when we see Kalar again, Worf's mate, and meet his son. Sorry, spoiler alerts mm -hmm. in the first part, first part next season. Um, and then things that resonate <laughs> on to Deep Space Nine as well. So um, lots, of, lots of good stuff. So yeah, I love it. All right, moving on. Next one's yours. All right, we've got Allegiance, directed by Winrich Coldy, uh, written by Richard Manning and Hans Reimer, uh, Beamer. No I think it's Beimler. <laughs> I've, I've, heard, I've only heard it so recently, but yeah, I believe that's You it. know, I swear you folks could turn this into a drinking game with how much uh, Charlie has to correct me on how I say these names. Fiddle, fiddle flap, and flippity flew. <laughs> yeah, you bet. All right, it was aired on March 26th in 1990. Aliens kidnap Captain Picard and replace him with a duplicate who sends the Enterprise to a Pulsar. Meanwhile, the real Picard and three other captives try to escape from their prison. And this was just a really, again, a, a really solid grouping of these episodes. Um, totally. Because you had, yeah, um, this Picard who's coming in. And I almost wanted to say that they gave away it right from the get-go because if soon as he swaps, he goes into his ready room with, uh, with Riker, and it doesn't show what he orders. You don't hear him order tea. But when he comes out, that is too dark to be tea. I swear that they gave him coffee. Ooh, I looked oh my at that. Gosh. I saw him. Yeah, I saw him take a wow. drink of that, and I was like, "That's not black tea. That's way really? too dark to be black tea." That's so I wonder if that was like an Easter egg right from the get go. Um, because you didn't oh hear him order. he was walking away from the replicator after um as Riker came in, and then he just held it off camera until Riker left and he took a drink of it. So oh I was like, wait gosh. a second. So that's, that's my working crazy. theory is that they put okay. an Easter egg in there. It might just be my wild imagination going crazy. Um but I did like watching um, Crazy Picard. <laughs> it was yeah, exactly. Being like, no, let's, <laughs> let's 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 do a yeah, let's or a double, hang double card. 
Do I call him Doppelcard? Descartes, Descartes, Doppelcard. Yeah, because he's like, well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna walk around and do a bunch of weird stuff. I'll do, uh, I'll sing along as we drink and tend forward. I'll uh, be weird with Troy. I'll watch the guys play cards. I'll have I'll make Be- up with Beverly. I'll make up with Beverly and then reject her. Like, okay, goodbye. He practically shoves her out the door. Click. Right. It was just, and then he's like, well, you know, and at the end, it's like he's just playing this game of. Uh, I'll just kind of, you know, fuck around and see what happens. And at the end right, of it, it, was, it was, he's going to yeah. run the Enterprise into a into a pulsar and kill everybody. And they're like, yeah, I think that we're kind of done with you. So they basically, they got it figured out. Um, yeah. And meanwhile, yeah, Picard is in the prison with these these three random aliens, one of whom is a cannibal who can't eat the, the – basically, they give him then like a urinal cake to eat. And he's like, I can't eat it. He likes, can't eat it. Oh, okay. Well, I wouldn't want to eat it either. Then you have the one guy who's a wussy pacifist. And then you have the Starfleet cadet who actually is the – she's the ringer. She turns out to really be one of the aliens trying to play them all against each other. So it's just – it's interesting. And I know that that part of it with the four of them in a prison was adapted out of some – some classic pieces of literature that I'm just drawing a blank on. It's like something about isolation and it's a mind game or something or other. I know it's really very informative. You're welcome. Thanks for coming to my table. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it was, yeah. Watching the doppelganger Picard was, was definitely the biggest joy in this episode. Watch him just kind of screw around and see like, no, we'll just kind of see what goes down. <laughs> yeah. And it was definitely one of those where watching again, watching Patrick Stewart being able to, be out of the normal like Picard comfort zone. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. Letting him be goofy with his character. Um, it right. did seem like they let him do a little bit more. Um, you know, we'll talk about that in other episodes too. But where he got to be kind of playful with what Picard right. was doing, right? And it was really, really fun. Totally. Oh my goodness. All right, moving on. Captain's Holiday is episode 19. Uh, Chip Chalmers was the director. And again, this was the first full script written by Iris Stephen Bear, who is one of the real masterminds, as I mentioned, behind Deep Space Nine. Gave us some of the most classic moments uh, there as the guy who ran the writer's room or was part of the writer's room. Uh, from April of 1990, Picard is convinced to take some much-needed shore leave on Risa, but gets wrapped up in a woman's treasure hunt. And it was funny, I messaged you and Peter while I was watching this, that the design of of, of the futuristic aliens that are kind of spurning on um, Picard. Their iridescent diapers. Yes, their iridescent diapers and their oven mitts and their they have the they both reach up and touch the side of their heads to beam away. I was like, that is some '90s looking special effects right there. That's fantastic. I, I love the design. When you got to come up with what's the line from Lower Decks? Um, you know, humanoids with all sli- slightly different facial application ridges. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and coloration. So this was a fun one. It was really, it was played for laughs. You pick up, you know, the Enterprise is just wrapping up this negotiation and Picard is totally burned out. So he gets kind of hornswoggled uh, into going to Risa, which is basically Enterprise's sex planet, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and just a great scene that all he wants to do is sit there and read his books, sitting, sitting on a lounge chair by the I pool. I feel that. I just, you just <laughs> you want know. to sit there in the sun, read your books, get left alone, and then Riker tricks him into buying this sex totem. So he everybody does, thinks exactly. he wants Jirahorom. <laughs> so this lady, it's a, yes. You know what? I was just going to correct your pronunciation, but Jamaharon, that's it. But yeah, yeah if you Jamaharon. have this hor- if you have this Horgon, which is this, and they sell replicas of them. You can see them around if you look on even probably an eBay or Amazon. But it's this like. How do you, how do you know they sell replicas of those, Charlie? Uh, I don't have any idea. I read it on the message board somewhere <laughs> sure okay <laughs> but anyway, yeah if you if you set out this horgon then it just means that you want to have jamaharon which is probably some kind of weird group sex thing with jello i have no idea there is uh, there I, is yeah actually i looked it up because i had forgotten about this episode <laughs> and i was laughing so hard when they did the and when they brought it up in Lower Decks, oh, and she's like, Jamaharon, he wants Jamaharon. Oh, my God, <laughs> like, that's right. Yeah, uh, I had not heard of it before that. I mean, I know I've watched this episode before that, but I just couldn't remember. And right. so I looked at it, so it's like, what is this? Why is, like, what? And it just says there's literally no reference of what it actually is besides some vague sex act. Sex act. Right. So and we're t- you know what? And, 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 what and, and actually but- it is, is not canonical. <laughs> 
Right. Oh, God. Now you're going to make me go look it up. We won't talk about it anymore here. But now I'm <laughs> very, very no, curious. You've already looked it up. Come on. I have no I idea. I don't know that you could buy one of those sex totems IRL. I'm just saying it. It came up and uh, it was suggested items, uh, I think. Mm. <laughs> and your suggested items. You are digging yourself into a bigger oh my hole, God. sir. You know what I'll do is I'll uh, if I find one in Las Vegas, I'll, I'll get one for you as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but then at least then that would put me more in the in the Picard position. Yes, right, just sitting there because someone tricked me into getting one. Reading a book by pool. All right, well we've gotten totally off balance talking about anything related to this episode. We get the introduction to Picard's love interest Vash, who we see in, a, in an episode in season four uh, with Q called Cupid, where they do the uh, they do the Robin Hood thing, and you know Worf, he's not a merry man. That'll be fun. But that, and then we see her in an episode of DS Nine because she runs, she's uh, with Q. Um, but yeah, this was the, yeah, it was kind of going for a treasure hunt and it's this thing from the future. And that's where we get those really, you know, crappy looking aliens. And yeah, it's just, the episode is largely played for laughs. We also get actor match Grudenchik, uh, who is later Ram on deep space nine as a different Ferengi, but really he has the same mouthpiece with the one tooth that goes off there. So it's like, I guess they, they save that and put that in a little Ziploc bag and like, Hey, we hired Max back. Here's your teeth. Here's your teeth. There you go. Oh my goodness. But yeah, I thought I thought it was a fun episode. Um, yeah, it was just a really fun overall. And again, just Picard is he has this like grumpy straight man version right. with all of the other comedic stuff going around him. And you know, Patrick Stewart again is just such a phenomenal actor that he plays that really, really well. And you get a lot of these really fun moments. Um, yeah, just just a great episode overall. Like I absolutely loved when he came back in the beginning and they're like, Oh, how did it go? Captain with the thing. It is. Hey. Just <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, okay. All sure, right. Well, Captain. Good, good talk. We'll, we'll catch up later. Oh my goodness. All right. All right. Take us home with episode 20. All right. Episode 20 is Tin Man. Uh, that was directed by Robert Shearer, uh, written by Dennis Bailey and David Bischoff. And it aired April 23rd of 1990. That's my mom's birthday. Yeah, well, happy birthday, mom. Um, You know, when April 23 comes around. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) A gifted Betazoid whom Deanna Troy once treated as a patient comes aboard to establish first contact with an unknown vessel near an unstable star before the Romulans do. And again, just a solid episode. Um, Absolutely. I mean, the the guy, uh, Tull? Is that Uh, His name is Tam Elbrun. Tam Elbrun, that's it. So, and he is kind of a famous negotiator because he is such a powerful Betazoid. Um, and so you get this kind of back history where you find out there was a disaster that happened mm-hmm. um, very early on. And it's not really specified as to what happened, but he was a negotiator. And because he supposedly because he was there, you know, several people died, including some right. of Riker's friends and some right. of his, you know, fellow Starfleet you know, acquaintances. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of tension right from the get go because he, you know, he's reading people's minds and answering their thoughts before they even get them out, which obviously, you know, Troy continually tries to stress with both her mother and any other beta. So she meets of like, Hey, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so how yeah. they never learn that you're not supposed to do that. You don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as much as he starts out as a very kind of adversarial, unlikable character, you do get some sympathy moving throughout the, sh- the arc with him and data because he finds such reprieve with data. And again, this is some great, you know, scene chewing with Brett Spiner and with his character of him being this relief and, being able to just talk to him and exist with him because, you know, Data doesn't have a thought in his blessed little brain. Not right. of any fault of his own. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, um, I, you know, I like it, and I like it upon the, the commentary of dealing, dealing with someone who is, you know, a high-functioning... Would you, would you say he's, you know, would you compare it to someone oh, yeah, who's maybe on the spectrum? Giving, yeah, he was definitely um, giving some of those on-the-spectrum vibes, and it was one of those things where... It, it was kind of, as someone who is on the spectrum, you know, I, it was kind of a love-hate relationship because they, it was very much a trope in the 90s of like torture genius and oh, well, you know, people who are artistic just, they're really, really smart and they're really, really capable, but they just don't know how to talk to people. And it's like that, it's so much more complex than that. And that is such right. like one archetype 
right. of what being autistic means because right. there's a reason why it's called on the spectrum because it is a right. spectrum of levels of degrees struggles it's, yeah yeah degrees this much or that and, much yeah yeah and depending on how you're raised like it presents differently if you're femme presenting and we're raised as you know femme presenting versus raised as you know mass presenting right so it definitely hit some of those tropes sometimes uh but i just try to look past that to right. get more into like how he was dealing with the Tin Man. And I thought the idea of the Tin Man was really, really cool of this, you know, millennia, multiple millennia old entity that was created to have kind of a symbiotic relationship with a crew that would mm -hmm. live with it. Kind of a mass effect type right. you know, sentient right. ship deal. Right. Um, so I really, really enjoyed that. So I just tried to, to brush off some of the more tropey stuff that was going on with coding him as autistic. Right. Yeah. And again, you're probably a sufferer of the times because it was the nineties yeah. and you know, we're, we're oh, yeah. and they for, probably yeah. thought that that was, you know, and as Star Trek often tried to do and in hindsight kind of falls a little tone deaf where they were trying to create, you know, advocacy and proper representation, but not really understanding what right. they were representing. Exactly correct. So yeah, no, I totally agree. All right. Well, I know we got to wrap it up, but let's give a quick favorite and least favorite. Go for it. Mm. Oh, that's a good, this was a, there was a lot of It's good real episodes. hard. Well, I guess Sins of the Father was definitely my favorite. Cause like I said, when I think of TNG, that's the episode that generally comes to my mind. Um, and then probably, oh, I would I know. say. We're stuck. Picking a bad one. Maybe Allegiance? Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of flat. I really enjoyed, even yeah. that, though I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed Patrick Stewart's performance. So I would say maybe a matter of perspective, just because I felt like that whole sexual assault thing was kind of shoehorned in there. Right. You know, I hear you. Um, and that was the one, the one we talked about the most. I'm going to go with, I know it's pretty obvious yesterday's enterprise. I'd love it for all of the interplay, kind of turning everything on their ear and then getting to uh, get a, a real nice resolution in Denise Crosby's character. And then uh, I was, I was annoyed by the offspring and the bad role and throwing out, <laughs> data's rights i was just kind of thumbs down on that so even though but even though again this is one of the more solid blocks of episodes we've come upon in anything that we've talked about yeah. so it's like it's it, yeah it's like it's bad but it's you know it's 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 my least favorite but it's not bad so right and it's bad in such a good way where like you hate it because of it's mistreating data but it's mistreating data in a way that's right. like, where you're angry at that dude in the season two that was like, no, I should be able to take him apart because he's not real. And you're like, that's a lie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shut oh, up, Space Yes, He's allowed to be a dad. Exactly. Oh, I'm keeping my baby. That's going to be the name of the episode. I'm keeping my Android baby. All right. Well, with that, <laughs> Katie, take us for the outro. Yeah. All right. For more information about Starfleet International, please visit Grand Potosky on Facebook and Twitter. There you go. All right. Well, friends, thank you as always for joining us. Uh, Katie, where do people find you out there on the webs? You can find me on Twitter at QTGeek. That is Q underscore T Geek. And on uh, Counter Social at K Quinn. Awesome. You can find me over there on Twitter and around the sphere in general at the C3. Go ahead and spell it out. My lovely wife, April, and I do run the USS Grand Potosky. That is the West Michigan chapter of the International Star Trek Fan Club. You can find us at a website of that name and across socials as well. Come out and find us. With that, I'm going to tell you, as always, that sharing is caring. Don't forget to tune into Trek Talks on January 14th and support the Hollywood Food Coalition with our great friend Phil Flox, John Billingsley. Our interview uh, for that is out there now. And uh, keep on trekking. And wherever you go, go boldly. This podcast is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Visit secretfriendsunite.com for more great shows, articles, news, reviews, and more. Secret Friends Unite podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other podcast services around the world. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can join us on Facebook or our new Discord server, or follow at Secret Friends U on Twitter. Please subscribe to Secret Friends Unite on YouTube and visit our merch store at tpublic.com. Just search Secret Friends Unite. Thanks for listening.